Well, we're going to begin with a short piece of music. Okay, I think we've got the gist of that. One of my favorite TV shows growing up was Mission Impossible. Now, you know, thank you. Yeah, for those of you who are over 30, you'll have no idea about this TV show. You've only seen the movies. Mission Impossible 4, you'll be glad to know, is being filmed at this time. But the TV show began every week with the, the team receiving in a brown envelope a tape recorder. Now, I know you don't know what a tape recorder is. Um, this is, uh, you might remember cassette tapes. Well, this is before cassette tapes. And if you imagine the little reels inside the cassettes, well, they weren't inside. You had to load them onto this device and thread, thread the t- tape through the, the tape heads and wind them onto the other spool. I had one. Well, they, on Mission Impossible, they had a miniature one. It was very high tech. And, uh, Uh, At the end of the message, it always self-destructed. It was fantastic. But it always began with these words. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. And then on it went. Well, I have to say that Mission Impossible pretty much sums up how I felt preparing for my sermon today. (laughs) The mission that I was tasked with and which I gladly chose to accept, was to preach on, well, mission. But the more I tried to order my thoughts, the more I began to feel that this was my mission impossible. At least to even attempt to do this adequately in, I don't know, 23 minutes or whatever it will be. For starters, where should I begin? What text should I use? Because frankly, the text is the Bible. All of it. The biblical narrative begins, as you know, with God creating mankind. And we learn that he created man and woman, and he gave them free will. And by page three, the man and the woman used their free will to rebel against God. And so began the estrangement the brokenness, the suffering, the loneliness, the lostness, the cutting off and separation from God that is present still today in the hearts and souls of all those who have not turned to Christ. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God's work to put right that which man had spoiled. And so in large measure, the whole biblical narrative is one great missionary story about a missionary God who embarks on his mission to save the world. And it's the story of God calling a missionary people to carry out that task. So, this morning I'll do my best, with God's help, to tackle this Mission Impossible Now, there's another reason that this is a challenging task, and it's this. The word mission is often filled with all sorts of less than helpful connotations. Certainly, the word has a number of different meanings. I mean, when used outside the church, it's often used to refer to the goals of a company. 
which may be all about a, a company's mission to make more money, produce more stuff, or be better than anyone else. Or in a military context, a mission is some important operation, maybe a bombing raid or a reconnaissance mission. In a church context, engaging in mission might make you think of serving a meal in a homeless shelter or going on a short-term mission trip abroad or somewhere else. And maybe for a few, a chosen few, it might mean being a missionary who goes to another country to tell people about Jesus. And here's the thing. While many people are, are okay with the idea of helping out at a soup kitchen or going to Guatemala on a short-term medical mission team, the idea of becoming a full-time missionary, well, that's less palatable. Indeed, we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to any kind of missionary fervor. The very concept of being a missionary is downright offensive to many people. Being a missionary may even sound like the antithesis of being a respectable member of Western society. After all, what are the values that are most cherished in a Western democracy? Are they not tolerance, pluralism, individualism? And the notion that a missionary may want to convert someone is to many people an outrage. The idea that one religion can claim to know the truth over all others is, according to secular culture, arrogant. Aren't there many ways to God? Uh, thank you, no. Um, <laughs> before we get into this, though, I want to make a comment on this watchword, tolerance. I think it's rather overrated. Now, of course, we should applaud tolerance that provides laws to, prevent, to protect the rights of minorities against abuse and violence. Absolutely. Likewise, if tolerance is about having a certain good neighborliness that respects people who think differently to us, then yes, of course, we should be tolerant. But very often, the kind of tolerance that our society wants us to have is something very different. What may be demanded of us is a kind of pseudo-intellectual tolerance. That is to say, a tolerance in the realms of faith and morals that demands that we hold all views to be of equal value with the underlying assumption that there's no such thing as objective truth in these matters. Well, I have no tolerance for that kind of tolerance. Now, I have more to say about our motives for mission in a moment, but let me just say here that as Christians, we are not for one moment called merely to be tolerant of others. We are called to something far more radical, far more costly. We are called to love others. Tolerance supposedly says, I will celebrate our differences, although I suspect in all likelihood, all it's really saying is, I will put up with you. 
but it's hardly a great virtue. Try it out. Try writing to your beloved in a Valentine's Day card tomorrow. Dear sweetheart, I tolerate you. Let me know how that works out for you. And what of your friend who is Muslim or Hindu, agnostic, Jewish, an atheist? Are you merely going to tolerate them? Are you content for them to be a good Jew, a good Muslim? Is that the best we can do? It may be tolerant, but it sure isn't loving. Last week, Anne Payton talked about the furious love of God. And it's that love of God that needs to inform every missionary endeavor and all of our encounters with people who do not know Jesus. That furious love of God is seen in the way that God is a missionary God, who, as we saw in our epistle reading, desires that none should perish, but all should come to him. And it's against this background that I want us to recapture our missionary zeal. The Bible as a whole, and our readings this morning in particular, demonstrate that the subject of missions is not something we need be embarrassed about or hesitant about. It is not something to address simply on Mission Sunday that can we can kind of take down from the shelf, dust it off, talk about it for a bit, and then put it safely away again. No. Mission, for the person who is a Christian, is the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe, and engaging in mission is our life's calling. So, let's take a fresh look at the familiar words from the end of Matthew's Gospel. We often refer to these words as the Great Commission. This, then, is the message, if you like, on our tape our Mission Impossible assignment. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Did you hear that? All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. This assignment comes from God comes from Jesus, the one before whom every knee will bow and to whom everyone will one day declare that Jesus is Lord. This means that every Muslim, Jew, atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Christian, you fill in the blank, who has lived, is living, will live, will one day acknowledge and recognize that this Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all. He is the one and only true God. His is the name that is above every other name, the eternal word, Jesus, fully God and fully man. Now, not everyone who kneels before him on that day will know him. Not everyone will have followed him as Lord, and not everyone will be saved. But this Jesus is the one who gives us our mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. 
feeling like it's a mission impossible yet? How can we choose to accept such a mission? What if we fail? What if people don't want to obey Jesus and his teaching? Surely this mission must be for the super-Christians, like the twelve disciples to whom Jesus first gave this charge. Actually, take another look at the text, would you? Verse 16. How many disciples are there? Eleven, not twelve. And why is that? Because one of them has already betrayed him. Frederick Dale Bruner writes this. The number eleven limps. It's not perfect like twelve. Matthew sees Jesus commanding a defective eleven. The church that Jesus sends into the world is eleven-ish. Imperfect, frail. Yet Jesus uses this imperfect church to do his perfect work. And let's read on. When they saw him, these 11 disciples, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Can you believe that? This is Jesus who's just come to them where he said that he would be, go to Galilee, wait for me, I'll come there. He comes there, he's standing in front of them, face to face, he's talking to them. They worship him, and then some of them doubted. Well, yes, I think we can believe that, can't we? Some of these people to whom Jesus assigned this supremely important mission were doubting worshippers. And you know, that sounds a bit like me sometimes. And I guess it sounds a bit like you. Doubting worshippers, nevertheless called and entrusted by Jesus to be missionaries. Wow. Well, remember how this gospel began, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or maybe here we could say, blessed are you, doubting worshippers, even in the midst of your doubts, for you are the people whom God calls to world mission. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And this mission that we are called to undertake is not a mission impossible. Why? Because the one who calls you is faithful. And he himself says at the end of our gospel passage, remember, I am with you. God did not send those disciples, nor does he send us out alone. He promises to go with us. And he did that then, and he does that now, by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. Undertaking this mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth in our own strength would indeed be a mission impossible. But with the Holy Spirit, it is a mission possible. Perhaps the 11 disciples remembered when Jesus had sent them out before, when they first followed him. At that time, he warned them to expect to face opposition, even arrest. But if that should happen, Jesus told them, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you.
So, the call to mission, the call to go to all nations is clear. One of the reasons, therefore, we are to be missionaries, whether at home or abroad, is out of obedience to this great commission of Jesus. And this is a call that we can respond to with confidence, knowing that Jesus will go with us. But I want to give you two more reasons why we should accept this mission. The next one is because of the sheer love of God and the love he wants us to have for others. And we see that so clearly in our epistle reading. Here, Paul, in his letter to Timothy, is reminding Timothy to pray for those in authority so that we can live peaceable lives. Not just so that we can be comfortable and well-off, but so that in that context of a peaceable life, we can tell others about Jesus, so that the gospel may flourish. God's heart is for people who do not know him. It's back to that furious love of God again. We must never think that we have some sort of monopoly on God, or that he only loves those of us who are in the church. Jesus died for the sins of the world. And as we see in verse 4, God desires everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I think there's always a tendency among God's people whether his chosen people of old, the people of Israel, or his chosen people of today, people like us in the church, there is this tendency for us to think that we are God's privileged favorites. But that's not right. At least, it's not the whole picture. Way back when God called Abraham, he did so in order that his chosen people would be what? Would be a blessing to all. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. John Stott writes of this Old Testament passage that we had today, it is no exaggeration to say that Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, is the most unifying text of the whole Bible. For God's saving purpose is encapsulated in it, namely to bless the whole world through Christ, who was Abraham's seed. The rest of the Bible is an unfolding of it, and subsequent history has been a fulfillment of it. The tragedy of Israel in the Old Testament is that she kept forgetting the scope of God's promise, which was not just to Israel, but to Israel for the benefit of the whole world. And so instead, God's chosen people became self-absorbed and complacent. Again, to, to quote Stott, they even perverted the truth of divine election into the error of divine favoritism which led them to boast of their privileged status and to assume that they were immune to the judgment of God. There's a tension that I've got to deal with in this. You see, on the one hand, God's furious love is utterly prodigious, utterly inclusive, 
For God loves the whole world, Muslim, Jew, atheist, Buddhist, etc., etc. And yet, on the other hand, the sad truth is that not everyone will be saved. There is an inclusive invitation to all, but there is an exclusivity that is unavoidable. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to God except through him. This too, then, should motivate us to the task of being missionary people out of love for other people. But there's a third reason why mission is at the heart of God and needs to be at the heart of who we are. Bishop Leslie Newbegin writes this, the goal of missions is the glory of God. You see, I think sometimes we may get distracted by the wrong questions. The question is not ultimately who will be saved, because that's actually up to God, and we'll be in for all sorts of surprises. We would be much more effective, I suspect, if instead of trying to square impossible circles of election on the one hand and free will on the other, of who's saved and who isn't, if instead we would remember what God has done for us in Christ, focusing on his name, his honor, his glory, because every knee will bow to Jesus. And let us remember the amazing privilege with deep, deep gratitude of the love that he's lavished upon us. The questions then might be more about how can I honor God? How can I glorify his name? Because when I remember God's grace towards me, all that I can do is not stand on how wonderful I am. It's to fall on my knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that needs to be my desire for all people, that he would be merciful to them. You know, our God is a jealous God. And this is a good jealousy. This is like the appropriate jealousy of a husband for his wife. There is only one God. And there is only one mediator, Paul reminds us. And that's Jesus. He's the only way. So, I want to challenge you today to accept this mission possible that God lays out to you. Accept it because it's Jesus asking you to do it. Accept it because he promises to help you do it. Accept it in response to his love for you and out of love for those who do not know God. Accept it because this is how we may glorify God. Every follower of Jesus is, to, is called to go out into the world. We are called to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus as we ourselves live out that which we profess. Some of you here this morning are teachers, engineers, doctors, nurses, linguists, computer scientists, students, seminarians. All of these vocations, and many more besides, provide tremendous opportunities to take the gospel to all nations.
some of you could translate the Bible into languages that have never had a Bible in their own tongue before. Some of you could go to China or parts of Asia or many, many places in the world to millions of people who've never heard this good news of Jesus. For some here today, it is quite possible that God is saying to you, as he did to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred to the land I will show you. Go from the United States. Leave your family behind and go to that people that have never heard about Jesus. Now, if you are hearing such a word from God, don't ignore it, but test it out. Share it with one of the leaders here at Ascension. You know, this church has a long history of people being sent out from this place. And I don't expect that God is going to stop doing that from our midst. But to all of us who follow Jesus, he says to us, go out of here today and be a blessing to the world. And that may be right here at school, right here in Pittsburgh, or it could be to the ends of the earth. And we're to do that with humility and gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. And we're to go out of here with confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. This, then, is your mission possible. Will you choose to accept it? Amen.